Good morning, Generations Church. It is great to be with you again this morning, and um, I'm just uh, thankful and blessed to be able to share the word with you today. So before we get started, let's bow our heads, or let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. While we may not be physically together, we thank you that we're bound together by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that it's your Holy Spirit that speaks to us, speaks to our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we ask that you would be here with us. May you give me the words to speak, and may you speak into the hearts and minds of those who are watching and listening. We thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember a time when you were a little kid when you would sneak around and just even the thought of being sneaky was a little exciting? I remember a time, I must have been maybe four or five years old, and I think I woke up in the middle of the night because it was dark, no one was awake, and for some reason I had a craving for chocolate milk. So I remember sneaking into the kitchen, it was dark, and I got up to the cabinet and got this the middle tin can of Nestle Quick mix. And I got a glass and I got all excited. I'm going to have some chocolatey chocolate milk. So I got the cup. I filled it with the liquid, pried open the can, got a heaping spoonful and poured it into the cup. And I was just, I was like, I can taste the chocolate as I stirred and stirred. I stopped stirring, got the cup. Oh, didn't taste right. Needed more chocolate. So I got another heaping spoonful and I piled that thing up. And it was like a little mountain on the top, on the ridge of the cup. And I stirred it as much as I could. And it's like, okay, this has got to be enough. So I took it, took a sip of it. Oh, what is wrong with this? This doesn't taste like chocolate milk. It took me a little while. Maybe it's because I was too tired. It was in the middle of the night. But I looked at it and it's like, What's wrong with this? Anyone have an idea? It dawned on me. I realized it doesn't taste like chocolate milk because I was using water this whole time. I was filling the chocolate powder with water. I got all excited for chocolate milk, but I was using water instead. Obviously, you can't have chocolate milk while using water. Last week, we saw the greatest love story ever. We saw that the greatest love story ever was between God and his people, God and his creation. And we looked at John 3, 16 and 17, and we just scratched the surface, just scratched the surface of what it looks like. What does God's love mean? What does it mean to have a loving relationship with God? And we're going to explore more of that today. Now, maybe at this point you're wondering, that was a weird transition, Pastor Mike. What does the story of chocolate milk have to do with God's love and relationship with God? Well, follow me with this analogy. I, I, in preparation of this, I had an epiphany and this analogy came to mind. The story came to mind. So hopefully it will make sense to you. But here's the analogy. Milk is the base substance for chocolate milk. You cannot have chocolate milk 
without the milk. Without the milk, the drink is not milk, and it's certainly not chocolate milk. It's something else. Maybe it's cocoa or something. If you substitute the milk with water, it's not the same thing. Likewise, love is the base substance of a relationship with God. So you kind of think of love as the milk and the chocolate milk. You may wonder, well, Pastor Mike, how come you don't equate love with the chocolate mix? Can it be the same thing? You can't have chocolate milk without the chocolate? Well, I'd say this. Love is the main ingredient. It's the base substance in a relationship with God. Without it, it's a totally different thing. It's not the same. It may be a watered-down version, but it's not the same thing. As we look at our passage today, hopefully this analogy is going to make a little bit more sense if it doesn't already. So hopefully it will bear with me. I think it will make sense as we go along. But as, you, as we go along in this passage, the title of the message today is, What's Love Got to Do With It? We're going to explore that. What does love have to do with a relationship with God? Why love? Why does God ask us to love Him? Why does He even love us? We're going to look more about God's love, God's impact on our life, impact on our relationship with Him. And we'll also look at four reactions, four ways we can respond or should respond to God's love. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. We'll have a lot of verses this morning, so if you have your Bibles, read along and we'll get started. Verse 7, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Verse 13, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given given us of His Spirit. And we have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as He is, so also we are in the world. Verse 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. 
And this commandment we have from him, that the one, excuse me, and this command we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Now we're going to look at this passage in two parts. It was a lengthy passage, so we'll look at it in two parts. This week we'll explore God's love and how it impacts us. And next week we'll explore how God's love affects how we can express love to others. Okay, so we'll take it in two parts. But as we look at this passage, verse 7, this passage begins with this charge to love one another. John emphasizes this point in verse 21. Again, we see in 21, he, he gives us this commandment to love one another. So he begins it and ends it with this commandment to love one another. And in this kind of love one another sandwich, in the middle is this meat, if you will, of how we can do this. How can we love one another? How should we love one another? Why should we love one another? So we're going to look at the, tackle that meat, if you will, in today's passage. So like we said, it shows, it starts this passage, begins with saying, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. Now, if you remember last week, we looked at John three sixteen, and we saw the greatest love story ever begins with this profound statement for God so loved the world. He loved the world. Why? Why did he love the world? Because love is from God. Love is, God is the primary source of love. He is the originator of love. Now think about that for a second. He is the primary source for love. But it gets deeper than that. John continues and he says in verse 8 and verse 16, not only does love come from God, but it says what? God is love. Think about that. God is love. If we were to, if I was to write this passage in kind of modern day communication, I would end verse 8 and 16 with the, that um, mind blown emoji that we see, where it's like, you see like the, the head kind of blowing in the cloud, uh, uh, dust cloud kind of thing. That, that verse is mind blowing. Think about it. It says, God is love. To know God is to know love. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not know or does not love does not know God, for God is love. God loved the world because that's who he is. Love is his nature, his character. He doesn't do anything outside of love. Love exists because God exists. We know love because God communicates love to us. He created us with the capacity to love as we were created in his image. He expresses love to us. We understand what love is because God created. That's how it started. And if you think about each relationship we have in our life, there's different aspects of love. And each one kind of put together gives a picture of God's love for us. And you see the world, if you kind of think about it, the world tries to redefine love, tries to redefine God, tries to mischaracterize God. 
think back, even in the garden, Satan himself has always, from the very beginning, tried to mischaracterize God, try to cause us to question God, cause us to question his love. He got even Adam and Eve to, to question, did God really say that? Does God really want the best for you? And ever since the garden, that's been his strategy. To get people to question God, question what love is. You can define what love is. Love is whatever you want to make it to be. You can love whomever you want to be. And people have come, all, come up with all sorts of definitions and ideas what love is. But we can only make maybe even a, a, a partial idea of love. Sometimes it's incomplete. Sometimes it's a mischaracterization of what love is. John is saying here this profound statement, God is the definition of love. His expression of love is perfect. So the first thing we look at is that to know God is to know love. There's a second thing we need to understand about God's love from this passage. And we jump into verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. God loves us first. God loves first. I want you to meditate on this thought for a minute. God loved me first. Now, I'm not talking about me literally first. I want you to kind of think in your mind. Wait, God loved me before I ever did anything for him. Think about that for a moment. Meditate, let that marinate in your mind and your heart for a second. God loved me before I ever did anything. Before I ever thought of doing anything good, He loved me. How often in your time do you feel that you've had to earn people's approval? You ever thought of that? There's a lot of people who maybe have struggled with this idea that you've had to earn people's affections. You've had to earn their approval. And sometimes it can feel like hard work, right? You have to earn people's affections, earn people's approval. Maybe you've ever, have you ever had a crush on somebody? Do you remember, think back? You had a crush on someone. You liked them. They didn't know it. And maybe you spent nights laying in bed thinking, would they ever, would they ever love me? Would they ever love me back? Maybe it's not a romantic situation. How many of you are parents? Maybe you can remember the first time you became a parent. You look down at that, 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 the baby's face and you wonder, do you have that moment? Would this child love me like I love them? Would this baby love me back? Will they still love me when they're a teenager? Will they still love me when they're an adult? See, we crave love. We crave love from other people and we want to pursue love. We, want to des- we have this desire to love other people. And if you can remember those moments of wanting people's affections, maybe you can understand a slither of a glimpse of what God may feel like. What does God have to do to win you over? What does God have to do to prove that he loves you? And the honest answer for many people, many people will say, well, just let me be, God. You want me to love you? Just let me be. Don't let anything negative happen to me. 
Or maybe they'll think, you know what, God, just give me what I want. If you give me what I want, I'll love you. But if you're a parent, you know this isn't love. It's not love if you just let someone be, let a child be. Ah, oh, just leave them alone. It's not love if you say, you know what, I don't want anything negative to happen to you. And certainly not love if you try to give the child whatever they want. What did God do to show that he loves first? Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, what? Christ died for us. He died for the guilty. He died before we ever thought of confession. He died before we could ever think of believing in him. He said, I will die. I will pay that price first. The third thing we know about God's love, God's love paid a costly price. We looked at the significance of it last week in John 3, 16. We see it again in verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? What does propitiation mean? He was the atoning sacrifice. He was a sacrifice that mended what was wrong. Atoned for what we did. Our sin would lead us to judgment, would lead us to death. But Jesus paid the price. And what was that price? That costly price was himself, his blood. He died on the cross for our sin. He took our place. And not only just ours, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 2 of 1 John, he says, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is why rejecting Jesus is so offensive. You think about it. He didn't just die for those who earned it or who would believe. He said, I pay the price for the sins of the world. Who will believe? What would our response be? If we would just believe in him and confess that we need a Savior, confess him that he is our Lord and Savior, to believe in him and follow him, our debt would be forgiven. The price would be paid. Yet still, many people will reject Jesus. Jesus says, I love you, but people say, you know what? I don't need you. I don't need a Savior. Well, the Bible is very clear. All people will receive the consequences for their sin. They'll receive the price. If you live a lifestyle that reflects that you believe in Jesus... If your life reflects faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that God has taken away the judgment and condemnation of your sin, you will have eternal life. If you accept and believe in his name, he said, I'll pay the price. I paid it for you. You can be with me. You can have relationship with me, debt paid in full. But if you live your life rejecting God, rejecting the notion of Savior, you say, I don't need God. I don't need to be with God. I don't need that Savior. Then you will face judgment you will face the lord and you will get what you wanted you live your life on earth the void of god and that's what you'll receive for eternity and that's called hell 
And you see, many people, they fear death, but they fear death because there's uncertainty. What will happen when I die? Where will I go? Is there a heaven or is there a hell? How do I know I'll get there or where I'll go? But his love, his love takes the fear of judgment away. He says, by this love is perfected with us that we have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. See, if we have God's love in our life, if we receive Christ in our life, he has taken that fear away. So you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear judgment anymore. I've paid that price for you. You can, be etern- you can have eternity with me. So his love takes that fear of judgment away. He paid the costly price. And the fourth thing we see in this passage about God's love, God's love requires relationship, and relationship with God requires love. Verse 12, no one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, what happens? God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of the Holy Spirit. See, God's love invites us to have relationship with Him. The whole Godhead abides in us. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit abides in us. And we abide in His love. Now, we can spend weeks on this, but to give a summary of what what this means. If we accept God's love, His sacrifice for us, accept that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and we remain with Him, We have his forgiveness. We have this relationship with him. He says, look, you remain with me. I will remain with you. How do we know? He says he's given us his spirit in verse 13. And all this whole passage should be familiar with this if you're familiar with John 15. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And just as I've kept my father's commandments, abide in his love. See, Jesus is is bringing together not only him and the father and the spirit. He says, look, abide with us and we'll abide with you. you, When you remain in us, you will remain in in their love and we will abide in him. We will abide in his love. See, this dynamic of relationship, remain, stay, stay connected. Jesus uses the analogy of the vine and the branches. Just like branches are connected with the vine, it's fed by the vine. But if it's broken off, it doesn't remain in the, in the vine, it's just left for dead. It's useless on the ground. He says, remain with me. In other words, he's saying, look, you can't just take the gift and split Say, okay, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Okay, now I'm going to go live my life the way I want to. I'm going to do what I want, and I'll check back with you when I want to. He says, no, no, no. Remain with me. Like any relationship. Think about it. Any significant relationship in your life. Don't you require faithfulness? Don't you expect it? Take marriage for a second. For those of you who are married, any of you get married, and when you got married, you say, you know what? I hope... You're with me a year from now. And a year from now, we'll check back in with each other. Hopefully, we'll stick around together. You don't enter marriage 
with this expectation that, you know, maybe we'll be together, maybe we won't be. I don't know. You enter marriage with the expectation we're going to be with each other. We're going to stay with each other through the good and the bad. Even friendships. Friendships the same way. If you can enter a friendship with somebody, the expectation is that you will remain with each other. You'll stick it through. And when you remain with somebody, doesn't the love grow? Doesn't it mature? For those you are married, would you say that you have a greater love now than you did when you first got married? You learned about each other. You know each other more. And as you've known each other more, you've grown. Maybe there's, your love for each other has grown deeper. It's changed. It's more mature. Same way with parent-child. A child loves a parent for surface-level reasons. But as they get older, hopefully their love for their parent grows and it matures. It deepens. Likewise, our relationship with God is not just to, he gave you, he gave us some kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, a free pass. But he says, I want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to remain with me and I will remain with you. And as you remain with me, you know me and you'll know my love and it'll grow deeper and it will mature. I don't think it's coincidence or without purpose. When Jesus, before he ascended, he had this conversation with Peter. And remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. And he had this conversation with Peter. And he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Now, he could have asked many different things. He could have asked Peter, Peter, are you going to remain faithful to me? Peter, do you trust me? Peter, now do you know who I am? But he asked, Peter, do you love me? Why does he ask, do you love me? I believe because love has to be that foundational substance in the relationship with God. We have to have a love for the Lord if we're going to live for the Lord. When our life gets challenged, if we don't have that love of God in the foundation of our relationship with Him, we're going to have a tough time. We cannot effectively live for Jesus if we do not abide in the love of God. If we don't remain in God's love. If that's not the, the, the main substance in our relationship with God. So we look at this passage, we learn about God's love and what it means. What's our response? How do we respond to God's love? The first thing, our first response, something to kind of think about as we, as we kind of take this all in about God's love. First thing, learn love through the lens of God. Learn about God through the lens of love. In other words, stop relying on the world's idea of love. Stop relying on the world's idea of God. As you read, as you read the word, as you learn about God, your love for him will grow. As you think about his love, you learn more about him. But stop relying on the world as your primary source for God, for your understanding of God, your understanding of love. And learn to love or learn love through the lens of God. 
Maybe you think back on your life. You look back on how God expressed love to you. Just ponder that for a moment. So learn love through the lens of God. The second response, remember and cherish that God loved you first. Say that again. Remember and cherish that God loved you first. You didn't earn his love, but honor his love. Say that again. You didn't earn his love. You didn't have to earn his love, but honor his love. Be encouraged by that. Be humbled by it. Keep God as your first love. It's okay to sit back and just ponder that, you know what? God loved me first. Wow. God loved me first. Be encouraged. Be humbled. But honor his love. Third thing in our response, Jesus paid a costly price for us. He paid a costly price for you. So live a life of value and worth. He paid a costly price for you. So live a life of value and worth. Live your life knowing that Jesus paid for you through his blood, his sacrifice. So honor him in how you live your life. The fourth response, remain close with the Lord and endure until the end because he will remain with you until the end. Remain close with the Lord. Abide in him. Dwell with him. Stay with him because he will stay with you through the difficult times, even in the moments when it seems like God is not there. He's there. Remain with him and he will remain with you. Let me wrap it up. Going back again to the analogy of the chocolate milk and the main ingredient. Just as milk is the main ingredient of the chocolate milk, you can't substitute the milk. Otherwise, it's not chocolate milk. Likewise, when it comes to a relationship with God, love is the base substance, is the foundation for it. Without love of God, without God's love, there is no relationship with God. Because to know God is to know love. Because God is love. And love is not something that you can give a little bit, take some away. Like the chocolate syrup, you could put more or less of. No. Love is the foundation to a relationship with God. Because that's who he is. That's the kind of relationship he wants to have with you. He wants to remain with you. He paid the price for you. He sacrificed for you. He loved you first. And he wants you to know him so that you will know his love. The more we know God's love, the better we'll be able to share his love with others. If we don't know God's love, we will fall short in sharing and loving others. And we'll take a look at that next week. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you loved us. There's nothing we did to earn it. We certainly don't deserve it. 
but you showed your love towards us because that's who you are. That's your nature. That's your character. That's what you desire for us. Lord, may we grow in our love for you. May we desire it more and more as we desire to know you more and more. If there's anyone here who's listening or watching, who's been chasing affections of others, chasing love from others, Lord, I pray you would encourage them. Remind them that the Almighty Creator loves them and desires them. We thank you, Jesus, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.